Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Sarah Barry's best-selling rural mysteries feature strong women who don't need rescuing. Women very much after Sarah's own heart. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Sarah talks about why city women seem to love reading romantic suspense set in the Australian countryside, and about the joys of running a farm while also writing popular fiction. But before we talk to Sarah, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Sarah's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Sarah. Hello there, Sarah, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Jenny. It's great to be here. Look, beginning at the beginning, was there a once-upon-a-time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction, and if there was a catalyst for it, what was it? Mm-hmm. Well, I used to devour my grandma's Mills and Boone books when I was a kid, and I, I really, really enjoyed them a lot. I loved the romance and the exotic places and, and all the wonderful stories, but uh, I guess in line with what was considered romantic at the time, the women were always in need of rescuing, and that was something I wasn't really a huge fan of. Uh, so I just couldn't quite come at that. They didn't live up to my ideals of strong women. I get frustrated and, and come up with alternatives in my mind and start rewriting the stories. Uh, so right back when I was a teenager, I, I started playing around with writing. But later, as a journalist, I decided that I'd, I'd like to give it a proper go. So I wrote my first novel when I was in my early 30s. Great. And what happened to that particular manuscript? Oh, um the first one I wrote is never to be seen again. The second one, um, I actually wrote it um, as an entry for one of the romantic um, writers in Australia competitions, and I didn't really expect it to do very much, but it, it did pretty well points-wise, and so I subbed it to Escape Publishing, and Kate Cuspett, um, absolutely lovely, was um, very supportive and managed to get it published for me. And so was that The Secrets of Whitewater Creek? No, that was just a short um, romantic, uh, contemporary romance called Getting Wild. It's, um, it's, it's short, it's a little bit of a comedy, um, and it was, yeah, it was published through Escape. Uh, Secrets of Whitewater Creek, I actually played with writing before that, and it was my obviously my first print book. Yeah, yep, sure. So mm-hmm. you, you sort of decided on the romantic suspense genre fairly early, did you, rather than just doing straight romance? Have you always been drawn to include a bit of suspense in it? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I really like to write about strong heroines, and I, I guess the added danger element gave me a chance to build on that ideal. Um, mm. And also a, a more complex story arc uh, for me. I find it very hard to write full-length romance. 
Um, and I, you know, I like to share the hero and heroine complementing each other in, you know, in times of danger and, and working things out together, you know, rather than one being rescued. Um, and I just found that the suspense genre gave me the scope to do that. Yes, I think one of the things I like about romantic suspense is that you do get a story in addition to the relationship and mm-hmm. the feeling that a relationship is the be-all and end-all of everything in life is something that I sometimes also find a bit hard to, to swallow as well. The idea that if, if you find your right man, everything's going to be hunky-dory from then on in. If you've got the suspense going there as well, you, you're always reminded that things don't always turn out well, even if you have the great guy at your side. <laughs> Well, that's right. You, you can't spend your life, you know, thinking that as soon as you, you find this right man, your life is going to be happily ever after. Mm, I mean, that's in some, right, you know, my, my books where they, they've met each other and there's, there's a, um, a love interest there, there's still obstacles to overcome. And, and you know, that's life, isn't it? So, that's, yeah, you know, I really enjoy yeah. writing that extra element in. Yeah. Now, with Lincoln's Secrets of Whitewater Creek, that was... Uh, described as your debut novel. I guess it was the first mm-hmm. print book. And it was a, a real bestseller. It was a great way to start. Did it sort of take you a bit by surprise that it did so well? Absolutely. Um, when I initially finished Secrets, um, which, is, which is after when I'd spoken to Kate, um, I sent off some queries to a few different publishers with the first few chapters. And I, I never, I didn't even get a rejection letter. I just got nothing back. And I had no idea what I was doing. I probably went about it all wrong. Um, and it was, it was one of those points where I say, well, you know what? I managed to write a, a short contemporary, but if this is as far as I'm ever going to go, do I really, is this really the path for me? And so I asked Kate Cuthbert and she read it and she said, uh, this is your real voice. This is what, you should be doing, and it's wonderful, and yeah, it just went from there. Um, it started off with Escape, and then Harlequin Mirror picked it up for print. Fantastic. Now, that was a standalone, but then you moved on to write the Hunter's Ridge series, I think, didn't you? That's right, yes. And how did that transition occur? Well, I was I was asked to write another suspense novel and I started off with The Legacy, which was an idea I'd been playing with for a while in my mind. And as the story progressed, um, these other characters evolved, which I felt needed to have their own story. And I had a few lovely, lovely readers email in and say, can we hear about this person? Can we hear about that person? Can you, can you give them their own stories? And so I... Uh, I just made sure that I'd set it up just enough at the end. I actually had to go back and change the book to um, ensure there was enough suspense to move on to two more books. And I loved doing that because I loved getting to explore in more depth the the other characters that were in that book. So that's really how it came about. Yeah. Um, Is Hunter's Ridge a real place? I mean, is it a play on the Hunter Valley or is it nothing to do with the Hunter Valley? No, it's not the Hunter Valley. It's up around Mudgee and Candox. Um, oh, it, it's a real place, yeah. Yeah, it's it's based in a real place, but um, there are a few little twists and turns um, that that wouldn't be realistic in that area that I just needed for my story. And coming up with a fictional town allows you to make those changes as you need them to, but yeah, certainly yeah, yeah. that sort of that area, yes. Yeah, sure, sure. 
Now, your latest book, Blood Tree River, is set in Tasmania, and it features a woman police officer who goes undercover to investigate mm-hmm. in a country lodge where missing girls are, uh, have been staying, and then they go missing. Is mm-hmm. this planned as a standalone, or is it the start of a feature? Uh, I mean, a series. Again, it was it was planned as a standalone, uh, and it, it is very much a standalone book in its own right. Uh, but I, again, I've got two more books set um, with some of the same characters involved. Um, they will be three complete standalone books. You won't have had to read, you know, any of the others in order to enjoy them. But um, again, playing with this idea of, of bringing more some more characters forward, uh, it seems that readers really enjoy that. They like to see. Uh, the progression of characters from through the three books, the longer period of time, um, and it's certainly fun to write. Yes, and we'll, we'll get on to talking a little bit more about that later because you know this is called the joys of binge reading, and there really is quite a trend towards series books, even if they're not series strictly speaking, but involving the same characters or the same setting or some link so that they feel as if when they've invested time in the first one, they're going to get payoff by having others that they can read that are very similar. I think it works well today for writers, doesn't it, as well as readers? Absolutely. Uh, readers, you're right, they invest in the characters, they get to know them, and as soon as they pick up that second or third or whatever it is book, they already know and love the characters or they're already very interested to see how their stories are going to pan out and how what's happened in previous books is going to affect them moving forward. And they almost become like real people in in the author's head, I think, by the time you've, you've gone through like three books in several years. And, and I think it helps you to develop a more complex character. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's obviously only going to benefit the books. So all of your books are set in rural Australia, aren't they? And, and I gather yeah. you live on a country property yourself. Is that part of the fun for you, you know, writing about um, a rural area? It is fun. Um, it's A lot of people will say, write what you know. Um, I don't strictly um, agree with that. I think that you need to, to push your boundaries and, and keep evolving as an author. But there are certainly elements to living on a farm that can be brought through on the pages uh, in so, so many ways. Um, even if it's just a little bit of comedy or a little bit of a break from the tension um, or otherwise to, to build that and to help with that suspense, having that little bit of, of knowledge of, of country life certainly helps. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it is interesting to read about. There's so many different story arcs involved in rural living and, and it, um, it's a basis for who a lot of my characters are. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's been a real boom, boom in rural romance generally, hasn't there, over the last maybe as long as a decade. I mean, a decade ago there was hardly anything of that kind around, and now there's at least a dozen writers who are writing in that rural romance genre. What do you think the appeal of rural Australia is to readers who probably 80% of them at least live in big cities? Well, there is, I guess, um, that novelty of, of reading what you perhaps don't know. But it's also from speaking to readers. I, I think that as, an, as a nation, Australia, even if we don't live in the country, we seem to be able to identify with it. We're raised on, you know, the man from Snowy River and, and all of these wonderful stories and poems and um, we just have a strong sense of who we are. And I think that 
people that can't be out there, readers that can't experience it firsthand, really enjoy feeling like they're coming into into contact with the, the rural element of Australia through reading the book. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. I mean, even as a Kiwi, I, I enjoy that aspect of it, that you feel as if you're visiting a part of Australia um, and, and learning more about it. It's, it's quite mm. a strong draw. Yeah. So if readers wanted to visit Hunter Country, for example, the landscape of your mm-hmm. books, where would you suggest they go? All right. Well, as I said before, out around Mudgee and a lot of the smaller um, villages uh, and towns around there, but also... Um, Colmura, Mangrove Mountain, Peach Ridge, which is in the western part of the central coast of New South Wales. All those, um, you know, valley and mountain areas and the, the rural farming areas out there, is, they're prime examples of the places that I'm writing about. Sure. And that's sort of western New South Wales as well, is it? Am I, am I, have I got my geography right? How far yeah. into New South Wales is it, is it? Not well, as far as... It's basically um, between Sydney and Newcastle, but west of both. Okay. So, yeah, yeah you're kind of, yeah, it's it's kind of almost sort of in the lower half of the middle, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Geography so... is not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on the central coast, aren't you? Correct, yes. Yeah. How far from the coast are you? Uh, about three quarters of an hour, I would say. We're yeah, yeah. Um, geographically probably not that close, but the roads where we are are all like freeways and motorways to get everywhere, so it doesn't take too long, which uh, is great. Lovely. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely. Look, turning from specific books to a wider look at your career, is there one thing you've done more than any other that you think has been the secret of your success? I probably say just keep writing. Excuses. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't find time, you have to make time. It's, you know, the most difficult part of creating a bestseller is simply getting in front of that keyboard every day, no matter how many other things need to happen. You just, if you can sit down and get the words down, you'll create a book. And, you know, obviously, you just, you just need to keep keep at it and, and don't be discouraged. Some days you might get 500 words, sometimes you might get 100. It's the, the whole idea of just sitting there and, and getting it done and believing that it's going to turn into a book, that's, that's probably been the biggest thing for me is to be able to, to get that time in when I, you know, I really don't think I can. Sure. What, tell us a little bit about your... Um your daily discipline, do you, do you have a certain number of hours that you write or how do you fit it into your day? Because you're a busy mum as well and you've got a lot of other interests. How do you fit right. it in with everything? Well, so I don't really have a typical day except to say that we get up early and get all the farm stuff out of the way. The kids have to go to school. I spend three and a half hours in the car every day getting my kids to various schools. Oh, um, gosh, do you? Yes, mm-hmm. it's busy. Um mm-hmm. This time of year, like every four hours, I'm, I'm feeding lambs and, you know, the horses are barely getting a look in and we've got the house and all the other stuff. We've got an orchid farm as well. Um, so what I need to do is is be flexible in my time frame but always try and at least find two hours. Um, mm-hmm. If I can't at least mm-hmm. find two hours, I have to put everyone to bed and then sit up and, um, and you know, and write 
through the evening just to get it done. But on a good day, I can I can usually get about three to four hours writing in. And yeah. it might be in drifts and drafts. It's not always the perfect sit down and, and do the solid, you know, couple of hours. So Yes, yes. I'm, I'm certainly not one of those authors that has a perfect schedule. Like I don't think there are many of there at 9 o'clock. Yeah. So. <laughs> and could yeah. I hear you say orchid farm, as in the flowers, orchid? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, how gorgeous. That sounds lovely. It's it's a it's a pretty big um farm here. My husband uh runs it. I don't have to do too much, thankfully. Um but it's it's just another, you know, another time consuming thing that, that has to happen and it it is it's wonderful. They're they're right out at the moment, they're looking beautiful, so can't complain. I guess it's all under glass, is it? Yes, that's right. We have uh Three greenhouses, um, one of which is the size of a football field and two that are slightly smaller. So, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we like to be busy. I think that's, that's the best way we can put it. <laughs> you worked as a journalist before you began writing fiction. Could you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that life before you began fiction? Um, were you on Absolutely. magazines, newspapers? Uh, magazines? Um, mostly equestrian. I was writing and submitting articles and uh, it just so happened that the editor of um, one of the equestrian magazines that I was writing for had to pull out and I got the phone call suggest, you know, asking if I could take over. And I, re- I really wasn't sure I could because I hadn't had any formal training. Um, but I gave it a go and it's one of those learn-as-you-work situations. And look, it was great. I met a lot of wonderful people. I was never so interested in the admin side and the actual structure of putting together the magazine, you know, fitting in the advertising. Um, I just wanted to put articles and more and more articles in there. So I did struggle with that a little bit. And um, when certainly when I started to write novels again, there was just too much on my plate, um, like we just talked about, as you yeah. know, 14 hours a week into into the magazine because I ended up doing two magazines as well so it was one or the other yeah for my mental health I um you know I sort of decided that the novels were the way to go but I see on your website that you've retained an interest in Australian Arabian horses both the breeding and Mm -hmm. the news side do you have Arabians yourself yeah look I've always I've been one of these horse made girls growing up and I've always had them um there's lots and lots to love about Arabians. Um, I fell into the breed by chance when I went to work for a wonderful woman well-known in the Arabian world called Leslie Dowie. She was just so passionate about the breed. She told me, you know, they don't suffer fools gladly, and she was right. You have to be on your toes and respect them. And, and you know, sometimes they're not the easiest, but once you once you have one and you get that friend and that partnership happening, you just, well, personally, I, I couldn't ever go back. So... They, yeah. They're just one of those breeds that give you everything they have and they're capable of turning their hoof, I suppose, to pretty much anything. So yeah, um, yeah. I've just always loved them and, you know, that's that's where I've ended up. That's fantastic. Do you ride much? Do you find much time for riding? I used to ride a lot, but at the moment, um, look, I have one gelding up there that he's just absolutely adorable and he would love some more time spent on him. He's an incredibly smart horse. Now, it smarts me quite often. Um, and he's, yeah, he's my only riding horse at the moment. 
my daughter's also started writing in, my son, just last week. So we're just trying to fit in, you know, a little bit of everything and, um, yeah, we'll just see, see how we go. Yeah, yeah. Turning back to the writing a little bit, it's sometimes mm-hmm. said that writers tend to write the same story in different guises. I think Courtney Milan is one of those who's got quite a strong idea about core story. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that idea? And if so, have you yet decided what that story is for you? No. Um, I suppose in one sense, themes uh, might be similar, and certainly some authors do write with a, a core structural element that um, is, is pretty easy to spot. That doesn't necessarily detract from any story. It's, it, it can work really well. Um, but all I really... All I really think about um, is writing strong heroines overcoming almost insurmountable odds and how many different ways yeah. can, I, can I show this. So I don't personally write 20 formula. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I tend to write like a big jigsaw and um, when I have all the elements I think down or basic core elements, then I'll just piece them together, try and, you know, try and make them as, as different as I possibly can. Yes. Uh, the strong woman thing, though, that must have come from somewhere. Is that growing up, were you were you sort of really aware of the need for women to be strong, or how did that come into your life? I think if you grow up in a rural area, especially on a farm, you can't be waiting around for the dad or the brother or the the boyfriend or the husband to come and to come and rescue you. Know, you need to be able to round up the cattle. You need to be able to lift the feed bags. You need to be able to pull a lamb. You need um, and, and it's expected out, out here. It's not, um, you don't get cosseted because you're, you're a female. You know, you, you have all the same responsibilities. You do the same jobs. And um, really, like I said, going right back to those northern boons, that whole idea of, of being looked after like you're, you're fragile, it just wasn't something that ever resonated with me at all. Right. Did you grow up in that same area where you now live? Or Yes. Yes, mm. uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I moved across. I moved to the property across the road when I was thirty, but that's about as far as I've gone. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Is> right. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, this is called the joys of binge reading because I see it as uh, being about authors who do write books that are linked or in series, and mm-hmm. it's, it's partly reflecting, I think, a modern. Um, addiction really, almost like the Netflix thing of reading that they like oh, to yeah. read series. And it's very easy to just download a digital book at, in, at midnight when you finish the one before it. So uh, turning, mm-hmm. turning to your taste in fiction, who, if mm-hmm. anyone, do you like to binge read? And are you a binge reader yourself? I like to be a binge reader. I don't always have time to be. Mm. Um, at the moment, most of the time... I'm either on Audible books driving the kids around and that's only when I've already dropped them off because obviously I can't listen to some of that content in front of kids. And um, also uh, if I'm on the treadmill, I'll have a, I'll have my laptop in front of me and I'll read then um, and sometimes at night. So used to love binge reading, not so much at the moment. Who do you like to read in general though? Is there anyone that you've Absolutely. Mm. Yes, Nora Roberts. Love, love, love Nora Roberts. Nice, yeah. she, has, she has lots of, of series, so I I probably took a little bit of, um, out of her hat doing that as well. Um, Tess Gerritsen, um, Lisa Gardner. Uh, close at home, I like to read authors like 
uh, Helene Young, Bronwyn Parry, um, Tia Cooper. There's, there's lots of good Aussie authors that I'm, I'm starting to read as well. Uh, yeah. But I tend to read very much in my genre. I like crime, thrillers, romantic suspense. Um, yes. And there's yes. so, so many good books available now, you just don't run out. So, yeah, yeah. I have a very big to read pile at the moment. <laughs> That's great. I guess you, if you're listening to the books in the car, you have to make sure that they're suitable for little ears as well. Yes. So we, we tend to, while I have the kids in the car, we listen to their music, which sometimes does my head in a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> and <laughs> and then once they're off, I've still got another three quarters of an hour so that I can put my Audible book on and, and get into, involved with that. It's great. Are they going to the same schools that you yourself went to years ago? No. No, no, my no. son's very, very interested in soccer, so he's going to the International Football School, and um, my daughter's up at the grammar school on the other end of the coast, so it's, it's, that's why there's so much driving. Yeah, involved. I, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Circling around from the start of your world, at this stage in your career, if you were starting out again, is mm-hmm. there anything you would change about the way that you've done things? Mm, absolutely. Um, the whole idea of I think I might write a book and send it off to publishers and hope for the best isn't really the best way to go about it. I wouldn't, you know, give that that advice to anybody. Um, (laughs) It depends on the genre that you're interested in. But, uh, for example, the um, Romance Writers of Australia, um, I'd have joined them straight away from the outset because you're straight away involved in in a community where you can get all the information you need. They have competitions. They're running... There's um, conferences where you can meet with agents and publishers and, and learn a lot about your craft. Uh, and, you know, had I known about that, that's, that's how I would have gone because it really helps you to understand the industry. Um, and, and I think it really gives you a, a lead against other people that don't uh, know about these things. But there's also a Crime Writers Association in Australia, which is also very, very good. Um, but, yes, knowledge is absolutely power. It's it's a much better way to go. And how long was it after you started writing that you discovered Romance Writers of Australia, for example? <clears throat> well, I, around about exactly the same time as I wrote that uh, the little contemporary romance because I basically wrote it for that competition after reading that they had it. It was It's called the High Five competition. I'm not sure if they do that one anymore, but I only had to write five pages. And then if you... Um, I think... Don't quote me, but I believe that if you got in the top certain marks, you had to then send the rest of the manuscript in, and I had to write it really, really quickly. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> there's, there, there's lots and lots of different competitions for unpublished writers, and you get reader feedback. Um, if you go through and, you, and you're up in the placings, you might get an agent. They might get an agent or an editor to look at it. It's, it's a great way to go. Great. Do you use um, advanced reader teams for your books? Do you have a group of people who read your books ahead of publication and give you feedback? Yes, I do. I have two authors that I know very well. We all um, help out with the manuscripts, um, critique partners, um, Anne Harrison, Tia Cooper, and also um, a lovely lady that I did a, a two-day writing course with who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine, um, Catherine Cogren. She's She always has a look for me as well, so I get that feedback before... I have to um, I have to submit, and that's something else that the RWA does as well. They have a critique 
partner scheme. So for people that are writing but don't know who to get to look at their manuscripts, you can you can partner up there and that can be really valuable too. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So hmm. what is next for Sarah, the writer? What projects do you have under development at the moment? Mm-hmm. Well, I've recently completed next year's release, which is, um, coming, it's related to Blood Tree River and right now I've just started working on the third book that will be set in Tasmania. And does number two have a, have a title yet? Mm, where the working title at the moment, um, no, it's, it's really still under construction. I wouldn't like yeah. to tell you the yeah. wrong one. No, yeah, sure, I understand. But, and so do you do roughly one book a year? Is that what you aim for? It is now. The Hunter's Ridge series I did of um, three books in two years and it it was a little bit of a rush. It was a little bit stressful. So um, right now I'm just going to concentrate on one book a year. Um, I might up that again later, but it, I find that works really well for me. Yeah. And what are they? Around about 100,000 words? A little bit over. Usually around 110, 115. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice big books. <laughs> <laughs> they are big books. They're really good books. Um, so Thank you. We are coming to the end of our time together, and I wonder where can readers find you online, and do you like interacting with your readers? I love it. Um, readers are the reason that my books, the last few books, have taken the direction they have. I, I love hearing feedback. I love hearing the, the elements that readers are most interested in, the characters that they love the most. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Sarah Barry author, uh, lots and lots of comments there um, all the time, and it's it's great to read. I also have a website, uh, sarahbarryauthor.com, um, where people can look at my blogs, or I've only just put the blog back in. I'm feeling very proud of myself, and um, <laughs> and and contact me through that as well. Oh, that's great, Sarah. That really is lovely. Um, well, look, we'll let you go. I just wanted to take a couple of the spellings of the names of the people that you mentioned with you. Leslie mm-hmm. Dowie, uh, the Arabian lady, how do you spell her surname? D-O-W-E-Y. Oh, E-Y. I thought it might be I-E. That's wonderful. Thank mm-hmm. you. And who was the other one? If there's another one, I'll email you. That's not a problem. Yeah. Okay, Leslie. Well, look. Thank you so, so much. We had a few technical problems getting this put together, but it, we did finally make, manage to do it. So thank you so much for your time and you can go back to writing now. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. It was really, really good. So what's Great. your plan Thanks, for the rest yeah. of the afternoon? Well, I'm, in about 10 minutes, I've got to go and feed a, feed a lamb and then I'm going to go mix the horse feeds up and then I'll probably duck out to grab my kids shortly after that. We've got gymnastics on this afternoon. My son's got to come home. We'll have to feed up when we get home. Then it'll be time to feed the lambs again and make dinner and get everything ready for tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you've I already got the words under, under your belt. Are you, are you, have you done any yes. this morning? Yeah. yeah I, okay. I, have. Not, not, yeah. I won't tell you how many because it's a bit embarrassing, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my dear, look, thank you so much. It's wonderful talking. Thank you so much, Jenny. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. 
Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website, That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.